0: I'm preaching through books of the Bible that I've not preached through in my 18 years as pastor here. And we're, there are about 12 of them. I've talked about some on Wednesday nights, but never preached from them on Sunday morning. So I'm doing that, and we've looked at the Song of Solomon, and we've looked at Lamentations, we looked at Philemon. And this morning we're going to look at a book that I believe applies directly to our day. Second John. In fact, I don't, I don't know of another New Testament book that speaks to our day of 2022 as we're ending that year, any more than Second John. Second John is a small little letter that's tucked into the back of your New Testament before you get to Revelation. And really, 2 John only has one chapter and only 13 verses, 245 words in Greek, which isn't a long letter at all. And it has three points love one another, obey God's commandments, and reject any teaching that devalues Jesus. Say that again love one another, obey God's commandments and reject any teaching that devalues Christ boy do we need that today think about it love one another we are divided we're polarized not only as a culture but as churches COVID has polarized us and we're still seeing the effects of it the politics Divided us more than ever in our culture, but politics has divided our churches. Love one another. We need to hear that. Obey God's commandments. We need to hear that. God's commandments today are routinely broken in our culture, whether it's about sexuality or whether it's about homosexuality or man and a woman or marriage or what is marriage or genders or pronouns or tithing or the Sabbath or whatever it may be God's commandments today are routinely broken we need to hear obeys commandments and then the third one teachings that devalue Christ we see many of those in our culture I'm going to mention two or three of them Here in just a moment. So I'm not certain there's a book out there in the New Testament that really applies to us more than this one. So I'm I'm going to be truthful with you today from this book. Let's look at it. Verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, he's referring to the church as as a lady, and the members as children. Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one you've had from the very beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we work for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him in your house, or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, John is addressing truth. And there's an interplay, you see, throughout this letter of deeds and doctrine. Deeds and doctrine. What you do, what you think. What you do, what you believe. And so, we're going to look this morning at this small letter letter, by looking at two points. Walk in the truth... And protect the truth. And let's look at both of them. First of all, letter A on your outline, walking in the truth, verses 4 through 6. Walking in the truth. Look at verse 4. John writes, I rejoice greatly to find some of you walking in the truth. Some of you. Not all of you. So, in any congregation you're going to have some who do and some who don't. And so what you have here with John is the heart of a pastor. The heart of someone who says, you're, you're my flock and you're the ones that I want to see walking in the truth and not all of you are, some of you are and those of you who are, you bring joy to my heart and those of you who aren't, You grieve me. And you know, as 18 years as your pastor, I feel the same. Some of you, man, you're doing your best to follow Jesus. You're you're trying your best to follow the the, the book and and you're trying your best to be a witness and you're trying to let God do a work in you and, and you bring joy to my heart. But some of you, nothing ever changes doesn't matter how much i preach or how i'm passionate or how how much i work on this you're gonna sleep nothing changes and then i see what you post on facebook and i see what you post on instagram and i see the places you go and the things you do and the things you drink and and you're posting those and and i'm wondering Am I even making a difference? 18 years you've heard me. Do I even make a difference? But some of you, some of you rejoice the heart. And that's what John said. This was his heart, the heart of a pastor to a congregation. But notice what he said. I rejoice greatly that I I find some of you walking in the truth walking in the truth dr. Trapp used to say years ago walking is not taking one step that's not walking that's taking a step walking in the truth is obedience after obedience after step after step after obedience after obedience and step and you keep on going it's not one step it's not two steps and you're proud of yourself It's walking in truth. It's not just once. It's repeatedly. Now look what he says, verse 5. I'm not writing a new commandment from God to you. You've heard this for a long time. And the commandment is love one another. John's saying, I'm not telling you anything earth shattering. And you go, oh, wow, that's good. I'm going to write that down. No, you've heard it. Jesus said it. You've known it. Love one another. I'm not telling you something strange. I'm telling you what you've heard for a long time. And this morning, how many times have you heard that? It's not new that I stand up today and say, we need to love one another. That's not new. but it's needed. Friends, there is, there is so much vitriol in our culture and anger. We have an election coming up on Tuesday, and oh my goodness, Democrats hate Republicans, and Republicans hate Democrats, and it is polarizing in our culture, and it is polarizing in our churches. One, one, something happens to one side and the other side giggles about it. Dude, did you see what happened to one of those Republicans or Democrats? It makes us giddy. John's saying you've heard a commandment for a long time. Love each other. And COVID, whew, the, the division's still out there. You just mentioned the name Fauci you got opinions on both sides. You, you have some who took the vaccine and others who were angry because they did. And then you have some who did not take the vaccine and others who were angry because they didn't. It's still out there. You still know who they are. We're fractured. We greatly need to hear verse 5. Not a new commandment, but an old one. Love each other. Don't draw those lines. You're brothers and sisters. Christ. Verse 6. And this is love, he said, that you walk according to his commandments. So what John was saying was, if you love God, you show it by obedience, by keeping his commandments. The person who loves God is the one who obeys God. Now, this morning, if I were to ask you, do you love God? You would, you would start, immediately start thinking of feelings. Oh, yes. Oh, I just, uh, yes, I do. And everybody here would say, yes. And you would think of an emotion or a feeling. John's not talking about a feeling. He's talking about obedience, about what you do. So, so he's saying, if you say, I love God, but you don't walk in his commandments... You don't love God. It doesn't matter the feeling. Dr. Meyer used to talk about, the, about love, uh, the emotion of love and love, and he said they're two different things. The emotion of love is not love. And he's not talking about the emotion of love. He's talking about the obedience of love. So proof of love is obedience to what God has commanded you. So let's look for a moment. What has God commanded us to do? What is it that we show love to God by doing? Well, he's commanded us to honor the Sabbath. And he's commanded us to to not have any other idols, nothing before the Lord. And he's commanded us to go to church. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And he's commanded us to forgive one another. And he's told us that that marriage is between one man and one woman in the definition. And he's told us that we shouldn't have premarital sex uh, outside of marriage. You shouldn't live together. And you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. He's told us that. There are a lot of commands he's told us. And whenever we obey those, we're walking one after another in truth. Now, there's one command I want to mention this morning because it applies directly to First Baptist Church of Garland more than many others. One of the commands God has commanded us is to bring the tithe into the storehouse. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. The tithe, if you don't know, is is 10% of everything that we make is given to God through the church, local church, the storehouse. And so, that's one of the commands that every single Christian's given, but not all of us are obeying. Um, We we start a new budget year every October, and we started October 1st this year. We've gone one month, and we're already $100,000 behind budget in one month now we ended last year great and and so many people tithed and were obedient but for some reason you start taking a break okay start new year so that i don't have to keep walking those steps i just i can stop for a while when the fact is god commands us to keep doing that all the time not one paycheck not two Every single one. Now, I, I know there are people out there that disagree with me that um, tithing is not commanded. It is. It is commanded in Scripture, Old Testament New Testament both. Matthew 23, 23 is a command from the New Testament. But it's, it's a command of God, and, and I believe that's an area that we're, we're falling down in, that God has commanded I pray for you every day, and um, I I pray several things for you. One thing I pray for you, if you remember back in January, I told you one Sunday morning I preached on Jeremiah 2.13, and I told you I'm going to be praying every single day of this year, 2022, this prayer for you. And it says, Jeremiah 2.13 says that that we would not forsake God as the source of living water and dig cisterns for ourselves that hold no water, and I'm praying that we'll all not do that. And I'm praying every day that you will be salt and light wherever you are. And that you will be full of grace and truth like Jesus was. But I also pray every day for you that 100% of every single member of our church tithes. 100% of us. Not most of us, not some of us. Every one of us. Every single member. 100%. Somebody said, Pastor, that's not practical. 100% aren't going to do that. I think it's what we should shoot for. And the reason I do that, two reasons. Number one, whenever you are obedient with the tithe, you're the one blessed. And number two, that's God's method of, of funding ministry. So I know if every one of us do, we'll be able to do whatever we need to do. So that's the reasons I pray for that. But not only for our members. Some of you online, some of you are here that are not members of our church. I pray for you too. You consider us to be your church. And so I pray every day God may 100% of our members and those who consider First Baptist Garden to be their church that they would tithe. Because you see, if you're not a member here but you consider us to be your church, you're not exempt from tithing. You need to bring it too even though you're not a member. Because every one of us need to be obedient. And that's just one area of our church that, that we need to keep walking in obedience to the commands that he's given us. Now, a lot of people say, well, God, he gave us these commandments and they're hard to do. He, he didn't give them to us because they're hard. He gave them to us to bless us. You see, those commands God's given us are to bless you. Because he designed you in such a way that when you obey what he says do, life's good. And so the commandments are given to bless you. So continue walking in the truth. Let's go to the second one, let her be protecting the truth. He kind of shifts gears in verse 7. Protecting the truth. Notice what he said. John wrote, For many deceivers have gone into the world. Those who deny Jesus is coming in the flesh, they deceive and are antichrist. It sounds like in verse 7, he's going to meddle in. It sounds like there are some people he's thinking of specifically, and he was. Here's what was happening. There were some people in the church there in 2 John probably around 90 A.D., very possibly Ephesus. But there were teachers who went around, and they would go into the church, they would get people's trust, they would get people to like them, and they would teach, and everybody went, oh, oh, that's good. And and they would teach false doctrine about Jesus. Three groups. All three of them denied Jesus was a human. The first group were known as Gnostics, Gnosticism, it comes from the Greek word genosis, which means to know. They believe, the Gnostics believe, that Jesus was a special messenger from heaven who brought knowledge to earth, but he really wasn't a human. He looked like it, but he wasn't. He was otherworldly. So he doesn't qualify to be our savior. Second group were called docetics, doceticism. And the docetics, it comes from the Greek word dokia, which means to seem or to appear. And they taught Jesus really wasn't a human, he just looked like it. So if you were to go up and slap him on the back, your hand would go right through him. If you went to shake his hand, it would go right through. He was really a ghost, but he just looked human. He wasn't human at all. There's some in the church who believed the Docetics, and some who believed the Gnostics. And there's a third group. They were called the Serinthians. followed a man by the name of Serinthius. Cerinthius came into the church and he told them, Look, Jesus, he was a normal human being like, like you and me. He sinned, he was normal until he was 30 years old. And then at 30, whenever he was baptized, he was baptized and this dove came out of heaven and this voice said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And at that moment, he became God too. It's divine. And for three and a half years, he was divine. Until he was on the cross. And he on the cross, he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, God left him and he became human again. So these three dudes were teaching in the church. And people were starting to believe them. And John wrote a letter and said, "Tom, out. We, we got a problem. Anybody that denies anything about Jesus in the flesh, they're wrong. And it's false teaching. And there are false teachings out there about Christ that you need to be aware of. Now, he says something in verse 9 that's a little odd. He says in verse 9, And everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in this teaching does not have God. Whoever abides in teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone brings this teaching, don't receive them into your house. What do you mean by that? Well, as they went around in the early church, these itinerant teachers and false teachers, they would go to a a community, and it was common custom for the people of the town to let them stay with them for months and sometimes a year or more. So the couple that or family that would host them in their home, they'd, let, they'd find a place for them to stay in their house. They would feed them. They would provide all their, their, the money that they needed. And so the families in the community would, would fund these teachers, and these teachers would hang around for a year or more teaching false doctrine about Christ. It gets worse. In the early church, the group of people that were considered the most kind and the most hospitable and open their home the greatest were christians because we're to love and we're to tolerate and we're to be nice and we're to be kind so guess what it was the christians that would open their home feed these itinerant teachers open their homes be hospitable be kind provide them meals, provide them a way to make a living, while they then would go to the church and teach falsely about Jesus. And John wrote and said, time out, don't do that. The Christians that do that, you are as bad as they are about teaching falsely about Jesus. Don't even open the door to them. In fact, it was said, written of by Eusebius, who was a Jewish secular historian he wrote about one time John who wrote this was in a public building and Serenthus walked in Serenthus remember the Serenthians Jesus came at the baptism and God left at the cross and as soon as he saw Serenthus he got up and he bolted out didn't want to be in the same room now folks that goes against our culture because our culture is one of being nice And loving everybody, and tolerant, and kind. And so we see a false teaching, and we say, Oh, that's okay, you believe what you want to believe. And we're kind, hospitable, and tolerant. In fact, sometimes we are so tolerant, we sacrifice biblical truth. Today, tolerance is the gospel. Let me give you some examples. Back in in the day of John, most of the false teaching about Jesus denied his humanity. Today, most of our false teaching about Jesus denies his deity. The Jews do not believe Jesus was divine. He's human but not God. The, the, the Muslims believed Jesus was a man. Good man, good teacher, but he wasn't God. The Mormons believed Jesus was a good man. But he wasn't God. The Jehovah Witnesses believed Jesus was a good man. but He wasn't God. And one after another after another, you see Jesus being devalued Some of our teaching you hear, A couple of internet preachers that you'll hear. Les Felkner's one of them uh, who raises, elevates Paul and devalues Jesus. Arnold Murray's still around. His teaching is the shepherd's chapel where where Jesus' deity is diminished. They're out there. But did you notice what John said when you encounter a false teacher in verse 8? He said, watch yourselves. He didn't say watch them. Watch you you don't believe it I expected him to say in verse eight when you see these false teachers watch them keep an eye on them they're slick he didn't say watch them watch you but you don't believe it give you another couple of other examples of devaluing Christ. Back 19 years ago, uh, Dan Brown wrote a runaway best-selling book called The Da Vinci Code. You'll see a picture here of Dan, an autograph signing of The Da Vinci Code. Immensely popular, 19 years ago. And that book is still having undertones today. The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown writes fiction, he says, about Jesus. And they have found this code that tells us more about the Gospels uh, than, than, or, or Jesus' life than the Gospels do. And it told us some interesting things about Christ we didn't know. One of them was he and Mary Magdalene had a secret illicit affair. And they had kids result. And some of their descendants are still alive. And Peter was jealous because Peter secretly had a crush on Mary Magdalene, and he was angry at Jesus. And so he, in the Gospels, the reason the Gospels don't record this, he covered it all up. Ah. And Jesus' followers in the early church, this Da Vinci Code says, they were all mistaken, and then they found out, oh, all this is about to come to light, so we have to keep it hush-hush, and they kept it hush-hush, so the men could stay in control, not women. And for the first 300 years, the Da Vinci Code says, nobody considered Jesus divine until Constantine in 313. People approach Dan Brown about this. Dan Brown, he goes, oh, it's just fiction. But it happens to coincide straight down the line with Gnostic teaching in the first century exactly. Gnostics said that. That's what John was shouting against. We have Gnosticism repackaged today, and it's still out there. PBS had a, had a special. The History Channel had a special. There was one special on CNN, and guess what they said? Did Jesus and Mary Magdalene have a secret affair? All the way back to Gnosticism. Watch yourselves. You don't fall for that. Give me a second one. There's a campaign going right now called He Gets Us. Maybe you've heard of it. He Gets Us, billboards, websites, advertisements on television, a $100 million advertising campaign started earlier this year. Anonymous donors, by the way. Telling us that Jesus gets us. He's, he, whatever you're going through, he gets you. He understands you. He's been there. Whatever you're going through, he, under, he understands you. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds, oh, well, well, that's wonderful. It's a campaign to come back to Jesus. But hold on. They don't teach the same biblical Jesus. This Jesus that's being promoted and he gets us isn't against anything. He's for everybody and everything and everything you want to do. He gets you, he's okay with it. And by the way, this campaign says, his followers, talking about you out there, his followers are misguided. So when they quote the Bible to you, they don't get the real Jesus. And so, in the he gets us, Jesus is an example but he's not a savior. We need a savior. Amen. And so you, you have these and what he gets us winds up doing is believing what they want to believe about Jesus but not believing what they don't want to believe. And you can't do that. The he gets us Jesus is divorced totally. From the Gospels. So, Pastor, how do you know false teaching? Well, Elmer Towns gave us eight. Let me just mention to you; they'll be briefly on the screen. Eight ways to know false teaching. Uh, number one: if it rejects historical Christianity. Historical Christianity is, histo- is historical for a reason. It was taught in the early church. It was taught by Jesus. It's continued. Second, number two, false teaching denies one of the main biblical doctrines of the faith. They'll find something, the main biblical teachings, and they'll deny it. Number three, it has a new authority. Oh, I received a revelation. I know what the Bible says, but I received a revelation. And some people say that, and some people follow them. Number four, has an authoritative founder. A prophet with a new message: David Koresh and, and and Joseph Smith. A new prophet, a new message. Watch out! Number five, they request something special from their followers, something unique, not in scripture. Number six, they have a book that is equal to or above the Bible. Well. The Book of Mormon says, you've heard the Bible, but here's another testament of Christ. It puts on equal value or greater. Watch out. Number seven, experience over doctrine. Well, I, I, it doesn't matter what the book says. Here's what I experienced. And your experience takes precedent over what's taught. Number eight, salvation by works. There's something in a lot of false teachings says you have to do something to get to heaven. So watch out for those. And make sure you're walking in the foundation of truth. There's a building on the campus of the Ohio State University. It's their their art center. It's called the Wexner Art Center. It was built not long ago. And they are really proud of it. And the reason they're proud of it is because the architect of the building, uh, he, he's, he has a postmodern view of reality. And so the building has no pattern to it. It's disjointed. It has staircases that go nowhere. It has pillars that support nothing. And the architect designed it and he said, I, I did it because it reflects life. Life is going nowhere, life is meaningless, life is mindless, it's senseless, and this building reflects that. And so this odd-shaped building on the Ohio State University campus, here's a picture of it. On the left is the Wexner Art Center. It's hard to see from that picture, but so I gave you the artist's conception of it from above. You'll see staircases that lead nowhere and, and columns that support nothing and hallways that go nowhere because that's Life. Well, a while back a pastor came on campus to present lectures and have be debated and so they're showing him the campus and their prized possession was this wexner art center and they're showing it to him and he said i got a question what's the foundation like He said what the foundation what does it look like it looks the same looks the same as any other building why? Well, you don't, it needs to be strong enough to hold it up, and the building collapsed, and you, you can't compromise the foundation. And so the pastor said, so you can, you can get away with postmodern views and art and making statements on the outside, but when you start altering the foundation, you're in danger of the building collapsing? That's what John said. Watch your foundation? Make sure it's a foundation of truth. Otherwise it collapses. First day of music class, music teacher stood up and said, class, took a tuning fork, struck it on the desk. That is an A. Always has been an A. Always will be an A. Now, the soprano singing upstairs, she's off key. The piano downstairs, it's out of tune. So, sounds you hear coming from both of those are not accurate. The class, ding, that is an A and always will be. What I would say this morning is this is truth. You're gonna hear sounds from a lot of other locations that don't sound like this. But this is truth. Always has been and always will be. Walk in it. Protect it. Father, thank you today for your word. Sometimes your word is is very direct to us. Sometimes it's hard. God, I I love these people, and I thank you for for calling me to to spend life with them, do life with them. God, I just pray that not some of us, but I pray that all of us would walk in your commandments, obey you. Not just a step here and there, but a walk. Lord, help us to always be champions and pillars of truth in your word how you've revealed that to us. We're going to hear a lot of things out there telling us it's true, but help us to always remember what truth is. Walk in it, protect it. So, Lord, I pray for those, first of all today, online, and those who are here who have never, ever received the truth in Jesus Christ. They've never repented of their sins, prayed to receive Christ, and turned to you for salvation. So I pray for them that today they would do that before they leave. Lord, I, I pray for others today who need to, they need to take specific steps of obedience that they're, they're not taking right now. And that's their decision. I pray they'll make that decision before they leave today. Father, any others, join the church or any others, would you move upon them as well? But before we go, would you help us to make the decisions we need to make? In Jesus' name, amen.